I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. In our continuing discussions on Davos, looking not only at what happened at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting recently, but perhaps more importantly, what business leaders globally might expect its ongoing impact to be, I spoke with Roberto Corta. Roberto is a longtime partner with Clayton Dublier and Rice and serves as chairman of CDNR Europe, based in London. He's also chairman of global media giant WPP, as well as chairman of Smith and Nephew, a FTSE 100 listed global medical devices firm. Among many other roles, Roberto also has previously served as chief executive and then chairman of BBA Group. Roberto is clearly no stranger to global business, nor, as you'll hear now, to Davos. Roberto, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, so lots to discuss following Davos, um, of course. But uh, just to begin, what, what number visit was this for you? Um, surely this was not your maiden voyage. No, I think I was trying to remember exactly whether it was 16 or 17 years ago. So um, I think it's, that, it's in that neighborhood. I haven't missed one in the last 17 years. So, so you've seen the changes. Uh, it's, be, you know, it's become uh, quite the event. Was it always quite the even back at the beginning? Was it, uh, um, did it have the same kind of global sense and, and uh, you know, vibe about it that it has now? Or have you really seen the change? No, I, I, think, uh, I think that like everything else, you know, it, in, in, in terms of attendance, I think uh, it was, has noticeably changed, i.e. I, the sort of the, the delegations that are there, the, the level of delegations. I mean, think about this year. Um, we had about 70 heads of state, uh, yeah. first U.S. sitting president since the year 2000. So, you know, a few people can argue that Davos does not retain its allure for both business and, and, and political leaders, even though, you know, some of us who've been going over the years, you know, sort of there's a, sometimes there's a bit of skepticism over um, a World Economic Forum relevant. Uh, you know, it's a, people, we always ask ourselves, well, you know, what, what did we get out of a Davos? And, um, and even though we ask ourselves the question, we're always going back because there's something there that yeah. causes us to want to go back. It's the interaction that we can have, you know, the chance meeting uh, in, the, in the hallways that you wouldn't otherwise have. And on top of that, um, it, it is a big, almost like military exercise that we do in order mm. to really maximize um, the time that we're there in the one-on-one -on -one meetings that we, 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 we have uh, during, during our, our stay. That's that's fascinating, and there surely was, and we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, the the um, presence of global leaders, as you said, President Trump, but also uh, uh, Macron and uh, uh, Merkel, and um, you know uh, Theresa May, and, and Italy. I mean, there was there was a lot. So uh, and and Modi from India. Um, I'll try to uh, try to ask you about. All of them. Um, so, so the first uh, topic, um, globalization and populism, uh, you know, obviously one of the major questions um, going in was how business and political leaders there would balance the long-term globalization trends um, with the more recent populist pressures. Um, it obviously, have been uh, you know we, we can only we can even start just uh, with Brexit, but but way beyond that, a great deal of uh, um, talk and, and action on that front in the last um, year or two in particular. Um, what did you see in terms of that discussion at uh, Davos, and and how are you seeing the the tension between uh, globalization and populism? Uh, how do you see that balance moving at this point? Well, I think that um, several aspects really. If you think about what globalization 
global cooperation uh, really, I think, can mean uh, many, many things. But in terms of economic lives, uh, global cooperation for over the last thir- uh, three decades, 30 years, has generally meant a liberalization and greater global competition, right? Now, on the one hand, it's brought huge efficiency gains and opportunity, but also disruption for, 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 for many. So we need to really be sort of careful when we use this language of cooperation and be alert to it. And what I think one would have to agree that it's become harder to win arguments by invoking economic growth as economic inequality has certainly narrowed the recipients of the dividend of economic growth in in the OECD countries over the last 30 years. So a discussion discussion certainly around that. And then if you think about about, uh, President Z um, in, in, in the vacuum that was left by President Lex Trump, uh, Trump's uh, increasingly nationalistic rhetoric, rhetoric uh, delivering a speech that really exposed global trade and cooperation. So, you know, it was quite interesting that, you know, you, you, Z and China, if he makes good on his promises, which is a stark departure from its historic in policy position, certainly he could take the mantle of the world's free trade champion. So there was there was discussion about that, and and I think the Trump speech sort of softened the blow a little bit when 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 uh, Trump uh, in his address said, you know, America first does not mean American alone, even though he had just imposed draft, the the tariffs on on wet goods coming in from from Korea. So there was a lot of discussion and debate uh, about that along these along the lines. Yeah. Uh, it- Trump's speech really – I mean he, he really tried – at least the, the characterization of it um, was really trying to emphasize America uh, is open for business. Um, did, did you see it or did folks see it as a, as a counterbalance to uh, China's uh, presentations, particularly China's presentation last year? Did they see it as um, maybe an attempt to in, – in front of that audience – Reduce, as you say, reduce uh, some of the rhetoric. Did, do people do people take him at his word, or is there more of a wait and see point of view? Did you get a sense of? I think more so than I, I, uh, what was expected. I think if 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 um, if we reflect on the mood, say early in the week, in anticipation of the Trump visit. Yes, I think everyone was anticipating it just sort of because it's kind of a novelty, right? Um, and I don't think they expected the speech um, to to turn out to to be what it ended up being. Um, you know, well scripted, well managed, didn't go off script, um, and, and it was it, it was perceived to be sensible. And 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 so in many ways, I think uh, uh, Trump came out of it. Um, you know, in better shape than, let's say, the anticipation going into it. What resonated amongst many that I spoke to was, look, it's very difficult to be critical of U.S. policy in terms of economic stimulus that uh, that Trump and the administration have brought to bear. And uh, obviously the, the, the stock market performance uh, uh, spoke for itself. Yeah. Um, and 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 also, I think the tax uh, the, the tax tax reform uh, being passed was another uh, big big plus. So people are saying, you know, you can be critical, 
right, about America first. But in many ways, I think lots of business leaders in particular, you know, were great beneficiary of, 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 of these policies. So very difficult to be negative. Yeah, and, no. and because he was measured in, in the speech and more balanced than people expect, and because he didn't go uh, off, off, off script, as I said earlier, I think um, it made, made a huge difference in, in perception. Now, as you said earlier, people perhaps also are cautious and say, well, let's wait and see. So far, you know, so good. And as you were mentioning, the juxtaposition between the anticipation of the speech and what was being discussed earlier in the week versus the outcome of the speech itself. Earlier in the week, of course, you heard fairly strong, muscular speeches from European leaders, from France, yeah. uh, Macron, um, from Merkel, from Italy. Did you sense a, this may be overstating things, a coming out party for Europe, for the continent, and maybe trying to establish itself as a, a first choice, or at least maybe at the same level there with a China and a US and then Europe? Did you get a sense that that was being executed by the European leaders? And what's the sense about European opportunity that you felt there? I perhaps have a slightly different take. Um, I, I, I don't know whether the, the the image that was being presented by the three M's, right? Um, and, and by the way, I include in that Modi, although he's India, obviously. Yep. Um, so if you think about Macron and Merkel, the two M's, and, 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 and Trudeau did, did well uh, uh, in his own right. He did very, very well. Um, the, the, what, I, what I heard was that... Macron in particular sort of stole the show. Um, at the beginning of the week on the Monday, he hosted a, a relatively impromptu uh, meeting uh, in, in, in Paris, in Versailles, and, and a dinner uh, attended by you know, business leaders, uh, about 140 business leaders worldwide, who actually you know, went out of their way to go to Paris and, and to hear Macron. And, but, but the view is that Macron was really promoting France first mm. and, and, and Europe second. But you could argue, why not? And, and he's basically inviting people to, to, to come, uh, you know, labor reform, um, the legislation that was, that's been passed. Uh, you know, we're open for business. And Merkel's always been that way. And so from, for Merkel, it was just about reinforcing her policies and her views uh, towards towards business and globalization. Um, and 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 it's particularly interesting. I, I Merkel uh, obviously is more pro EU, and and that certainly came out came out loud and clear. And by contrast, May uh, very much preoccupied with with Brexit. Yes. Um, at this point in time, and and therefore, you know, she she ended up really, uh, you know, her speech was about AI and uh, and security over the internet, which was rather odd. Yeah, odd Sorry. coming, uh, be, you know, being the focus of of her speech. And, and I want to 
ask you about AI and, and about jobs and about technology, um, particularly given um, what we were talking about at the very start um, about, uh, you know, opportunity and, and where the, you know, where the benefits of, of globalization and the challenges of globalization might accrue. But just re- one, one follow up on these regional discussions. Um, you, you brought up Modi, um, the prime minister of uh, India and, and, my reading of his presentation, I'm very curious of, as to your point of view, um, was to really call on nations to embrace globalization, combat climate change, strengthen international institutions like the World Trade Organization, while not really noting his country's recent import restrictions and uh, what one paper quoted uh, called the broad industrial policy meant to force foreign companies to increase manufacturing operations in the country. Maybe thinking about China as well. Are the China and India economies not, you know, while they're not as fully open or transparent perhaps as purely capitalist markets, what did you see as the attractiveness for investment and business growth there because of their structure and because of their government's more direct involvement? Um, What was your take coming out of uh, Modi's presentation? Well, uh, Modi was selling India, I mean, big time as, as, uh, as she um, uh, promoted China uh, last year. Uh, I mean, and, and yes, it, it has its, its sort of uh, twists and roundabouts, but, you know, there's no doubt that, um, that, that they want to be seen as, you know, leaders in, in um, uh, expanding um, uh, globalization because it suits them. I mean, they, India in particular, India needs to put a million people to work every, every, every month. And, um, and they're just not creating enough jobs by any means in India. So therefore, they need to put more people to work. And in order to put more people to work, they need to um, be part of, of, of a global community and, and not just the Indian community. And, and, and China, though, has greater opportunity uh, for labor uh, within, within its own borders, also sees, I think, a similar, uh, similar uh, goal and objective. And how did technology fit into all of this? And, and uh, by that, I mean in terms of jobs and um, an innovation point of view. Obviously, from where you sit, uh, you see um, companies of all sizes. Um, also, of course, you know, your, your role with WPP are, are very aware of, uh, you know, jobs in, in really globally, almost, uh, you know, all over, all over the world. And, and from a jobs and innovation point of view, um, AI has, of course, become a key topic, not just for, uh, Theresa May, um, in terms of what it means for industry and employment and competition and innovation. Um, did you find business leaders excited or apprehensive? Did you, do you feel that businesses have a strategy? Um, is it too late for those who don't? Um, you know, job killer or job creator. What, what's what was your take on uh, AI and and all of that? Well, Chris, I, I found two different really. Uh, one camp um, really excited about about AI, and and I can't, and that same camp would say ultimately AI is going to create more jobs. And another camp that could see the benefit of AI, but was concerned about what's going to happen to jobs, what's going to happen to employment, uh, who, who is going to have to deal with the, um, the aftermath 
of AI if one were to believe and the assumption that AI may, in fact, render 50% of the jobs today, um, you know, null and void. So what do you do? Who's responsible for training? Um, what happens with those who cannot be retrained? Um, will the state be able to cope? If anything, I, I, I sense that that corporates um, uh, and, and, and private companies who employ people are thinking about that uh, very seriously and, and, and actually beginning to think that perhaps they need to carry more of the mantle. The states have proven to be not the most efficient in dealing uh, with these sorts of issues. And there are some who are saying, you know, why worry? Uh, people were worried when computers first came out and, and, and people felt that computers were going to replace human and, and therefore lots of jobs would be lost and employment will go through the roof. Um, it didn't happen with computers. Why will it happen with AI? So they're really, I think, people are in, in two camps. But do they, does everyone acknowledge and recognize that AI is here, here to stay, and it's going to have a greater impact on the way we work and the way we access information and how information is going to be digested? Absolutely. And people are just trying to work their way through it. And then there are those who believe that we'll create jobs and those who believe that they will actually destroy jobs and, and then the concern about what are the social implications. Did, did sensitivity on this front overlap with uh, kind of trying to manage the tension between globalization and, and populism, between the growth of uh, cross-border opportunity and all of the positives that that can create against as well, obviously, some of the uh, discomforts and dislocation that it can create as well. We, is is were people more – did that affect the conversation? Was it, was it looked at in the shadow of uh, um, you know, rising concerns, as you noted at the start, around where benefits have accrued over the last uh, – you know, call it 10, 20, 25 years? Um, or was it seen you know, just on its own, AI, tech, without uh, the other uh, factors coming into play? Well, you know, it's sort of one of the things that one heard is that you know, if you think about technology, and and technology in the in the broad sense, and then AI, right? So, when when as as technology evolved and, and at the pace that it's evolving, it was once heralded as the great equalizer uh, in terms of access to information and social mobility, right? This year, it was very interesting that at Davos, technology companies were actually under fire, right, for damaging levels of trust in large institutions, um, you know, the fake news issue, rising uh, concerns about job security with the rise of AI and increased automations. Now, it was interesting, the, the leaders of these companies that were there, they're not really shy away from it, you know, and, and um, they, they, they were there and, and uh, you know, prepared to, you know, to sort of try to, to deal with, with, with the issue. But there's no question that this is a big issue that 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 um, business leaders are trying to deal with, uh, as as politicians are trying to deal with. Um, but I get I have a sense I have a sense that that corporates, as I said earlier, and private companies um, are beginning to think that they're going to have to share more of the burden that before let's say was more in the hands of governments. Um, and the, 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 there's a view that governments are not will not be able to 
to to to cope with this uh, transition. Certainly not on their own. No, it's certainly uh, um, that's an evolution. That's uh, that's an interesting uh, insight and something to keep in you know keep a keep a watch on. Yeah, and Chris, it's interesting because if uh, to, to think that a few years ago, I think there was criticism about. Uh, uh, corporates and CEOs and due to inequality of pay, etc. Whilst that's not gone away, um, I think a recent survey that I think U.S. World and News Report, I don't know if you read the leaders, uh, country leaders yeah. report, yes. annual report, and uh, um, which is partly sponsored by WPP. And in there, you'll, if, if you've seen it or if you haven't, have a look. I, I think um, they interviewed about 82,000 people in 90 countries. And seeing there's a huge shift um, uh, in, in that survey from having confidence in state to having confidence in corporate. It's a massive global trend. Just to be sensitive to time, anything else? Anything else that, that struck you on a personal level, on a professional level? Um, that uh, Anything that surprised you in terms of uh, this visit to Davos that we haven't gotten to touch on? No, I think, I think uh, we've covered in the relatively short period of time, uh, pretty much the, 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 the waterfront. Uh, I, I, um, I certainly was surprised as the, you know, sort of the, how the whole Trump, uh, and, um, let's say, visit evolved from the beginning of the week to the end of the week and, and, and uh, the outcome of that. That was uh, more positive than perhaps I and others had anticipated. Um, and uh, the, the, what we just spoke about, the, the social inequality shift um, that's taking place, um, and, you know, a lot, an, an awful lot of focus uh, uh, being put on that, and, and I think for the, for 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 the for very good reasons. Uh, you know, we can't corporate that's not uh, you know, keep their head in the sand, and we have to recognize that we'll have to deal with with these issues as they as they as they as they progress. One, you just remind me one one quick question on uh, on Trump and and the you know not America first does not mean America alone, um, you know the, the trade agreements and um, pulling out of or or you know not really wanting to get into multilateral um, agreements but maybe going a little bit more bilateral obviously that they're you know the, the pulling out of the Trans Pacific Partnership um, talk that's going on with uh, um, NAFTA. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and the Trans-Pacific Partnership being revived after 11 nations agreed to the trade deal um, with Canada but without the U.S. Was there a sense that these bilateral agreements from a business point of view, is that is that helpful or in an age where companies like WPP, many of them, are, are in so many different countries, multi, are multinational, is the lack of uh, these these multilateral trade agreements or, or reduction of them. Um, is that a concern or, or were people feeling like, no, you know, if, if Trump is willing to do deals, you know, bilaterally, that can work as well? Well, there wasn't, actually, I didn't hear much on the subject um, um, at Davos. Um, I, I, but I, I think I think each company will, and, and, and it really depends. It depends on as 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 I think is obvious, it depends on whether you're a local company, local meaning a UK company versus a pan-European company versus a global company. And I think each, each of those um, would probably um, have a different view depending on whether they were global, regional, or local. 
where you sit depends on where you stand, just like uh, much else in Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think to try to generalize, I think to try to generalize probably would not be fair. Then, then we will not. Roberto, thank you. Thank you for your time and uh, for your insights. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.